In this episode, we speak with Warren Valdmanis, partner at Two Sigma Impact. The impact investing business of Two Sigma exclusively focused on workforce impact. Two Sigma Impact combines active, principled ownership and data science with the goal of achieving superior returns and positive social outcomes. It invests in industries that rely heavily on human capital, such as education and training, healthcare, consumer, and business services. They believe improving employee engagement and creating more good jobs can improve business performance and create a model for other companies to emulate. Previously, Warren was a managing director at Bain Capital, where he helped launch the firm's first dedicated social impact fund and developed the firm's strategic approach to social impact investing. Warren worked at Bain Capital from 2005 to 2019. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Warren, so great to chat with you today. It's a delight to be with you. Likewise. Thank you for having me on, RJ. Very excited to chat about Two Sigma Impact. When you hear the name Two Sigma, for those in the finance and investing industry, you think of the data-rich investment firm that has grown tremendously over the last two decades. You don't necessarily think about impact investing. So can you give us a little bit of background on why and how Two Sigma approaches impact investing? Yeah, so RJ, I'll take you right back to the sort of mission of what we're trying to do at Two Sigma Impact. We're trying to bring scientific rigor to the practice of impact investing. You know, there's lots of folks out there who say you can do well and good at the same time. I'm actually a believer in that. But I also know that it's possible to do only one or the other of those two things or or neither in some cases. I know that firsthand. And so what we're trying to do is bring scientific rigor to that overlap between the social and the commercial. And we're trying to do it specifically with regards to workforce, which is an area in private equity where I think we've got a long way to go in terms of our sophistication and how to build great workforces at our companies. In fact, while it may seem a new business for Two Sigma, in many ways, the uh, fit is, is perfect because Two Sigma's objective is to bring scientific rigor to all the things that it does. And so we are very fortunate to be on a platform that allows us to do that work with all kinds of resources that most impact funds and most impact businesses and most uh, private equity businesses don't have. And we're going to go into detail on your philosophy on creating good jobs. But before we do that, you have a long history. It seems like an impact investing. You were at Bain's group of uh, Double Impact for a number of years, and then you moved on to Two Sigma. Was this kind of like uh, the natural next step to really bring on this powerhouse of data and intellect towards impact investing. Can you tell us a little bit about Bain and what you did there and then your transition over? Yeah, absolutely. So I spent the first 25 years of my career at companies called Bain. I was a consultant at Bain and Company. I was at Bain Capital for many years. And most of the time I was at Bain Capital, I was investing in the flagship funds in North America and in Asia. But back in, I think around 2015, early 2016, I got a call from a fellow by the name of Governor Deval Patrick. When he left the state house in Massachusetts, he joined Bain Capital to form a social impact fund called Bain Capital Double Impact. And he asked me to join him to help lead the investment side of that business. And 
I'd always believed that it was possible to use investment as a way to improve the world. There's many great companies out there that I've invested in before ever calling it impact investing. And I think being capital in particular is a great place for active ownership. You know, it's part of the founding philosophy of the firm. But the idea of doing that as an explicit objective, the idea of having a, a social component be an explicit part of what we were doing was a new thing for me and a very exciting thing. And so I got in and as part of the founding team of that effort, and I did that for about three years. And I'm really proud of what we accomplished there. You know, I helped invest most of the first fund. It's a business that's doing very well onto its second fund. And I think it's doing a lot of good. It's focused in a lot of areas that I care about. In, in particular, health and wellness was an area I spent a bunch of time. It does sustainability. It does stuff that's related to jobs. And I enjoy that work uh, enormously. But I wanted to take a step to further specialization. So I wanted to get in and actually pick a single issue that we could go really, really deep on. And as I mentioned earlier, apply that scientific rigor to. And so I decided in 2019 to leave Bank Capital. Uh, I wrote a book called Accountable, which is about how investors can make the world a better place. And then I joined Two Sigma late in the year in 2019 to form this business. And again, for me, it was a logical evolution. So from regular way investing to impact investing to specialized impact investing, you know, that has very much followed a sort of natural progression from my perspective. But you know, what we're doing here is quite new. Anyway, I think it's quite exciting as well. I've been following the impact and in some cases working in the impact investing industry. And part of me always felt like there was a little bit of sacrifice on financial return that having to kind of balance out either environmental issues or social issues, you may not be able to get the financial return if you were to kind of like silo those off. Is it the case where you are balancing those two? Or do you feel like by focusing very closely on the social, you can actually do better financially? So I emphatically feel that it is possible to drive alpha, outsized returns through impact investing done properly. But this question that you ask, RJ, is a really good one, because there are many folks out there who call themselves impact investors who explicitly are willing to make concession. And so there is a whole school of impact thinking that it go, you know, it sort of says, instead of doing philanthropy, you can do impact investing. And the great thing about impact investing is it's self-sustaining. So even if you don't get a great return, you do get some money back that you can then plow back into other philanthropic endeavors. So that is a flavor of impact investing. We are emphatically on the other side of that spectrum. What we're trying to do is look for that intersection of the social and the commercial, and whereby doing the social part of it well, we're actually driving greater value at companies. So think of it this way. When we invest in a business and we help it to become a better employer, we think it can grow faster. We think it can be more profitable. We think it can ultimately be worth more when we exit it. And you know, through the work that we're doing from a workforce perspective, and that's not something that I came to as an impact investor. That's something I believed before I did impact investing, that you know, building a great organization, truly motivating a company from its most senior to its most junior members, and actually incorporating voice of the worker, meaning listening to your frontline employees and incorporating their feedback into how you run your business. I believe that's you know, good business. But the nice thing about doing business that way is that you also create good jobs. And as an impact investor, we 
make an explicit commitment to measuring that, which is you know an important part of what we do. Now, you have a wonderful TED Talk, around 2 million views, maybe probably more, and you go through these four key aspects to understanding and ensuring that you have good jobs. Can we walk through those? Like maybe almost selfishly, I have a group of people, colleagues that work with me. And when I heard what you were saying, I was like, how can I do that better for my business, my company? And I'm sure folks listening in would also say that, well, how do I implement these? Because I want to create a valuable business. So can we go one by one? I would love to. And, and I, th- I think that defining a good job is a really important thing to do. It's, it's, you know, it's critical for what we're doing. And we've spent much of the last three years working on that and refining that. But the interesting thing is there's not actually an agreed upon definition of a good job out there. You know, if you talk to 10 different folks involved in the labor economy, you'll probably get 10 different answers. We started from some very basic research to get a better answer to this question. We basically looked at all of the case studies, all the academic literature, all the different businesses that have tried one way or another to improve the quality of the jobs of their employees. And then we looked at what happened. And there's a number of studies, you know, we went back the last sort of 30 years of studies. And what we found was these case studies include all kinds of different sorts of actions. So they include things like, what if you gave your call center employees the flexibility to work from home? What if you shared more of the profits with your employees at your restaurant? What if you provided free training to help people progress in their careers? What if you emphasize the mission of a company more? What if you develop certain kinds of leadership strategies that allow people to give better feedback upwards and downwards? There's a bunch of different things that we saw. And the cool thing about that research was we were able to put dollars and cents results against certain kinds of actions. Through that work and distilling all of that, we ended up with a good job definition that includes four factors. The first is fair treatment. That's what most people think of when you say the words good jobs. They think of wages, benefits, how you're scheduled, and those are very important things. But they're not the only things that matter. There's a second really critical component, which is your career progression. So there's fairness, and we call that growth. And what that means is, you know, does your job take you somewhere? Can you actually develop skills that you can take with you? Can you actually grow those skills on the job so that you can get paid more and take on more responsibility? So that even if you, you know, as in some great restaurant companies, even if you start as a relatively low-wage worker, can you actually find your way into being a restaurant manager or an area manager where you could actually make a pretty good living? And so that's the second factor. The third one, I called it psychological safety in the TED Talk. I think what we're calling it right now is really just leadership. And what we mean by that is, an attuned leadership group that actually incorporates feedback from all of their employees, also gives good feedback, creates an environment where people can actually learn from each other and feel comfortable with each other in a low-risk way. So that is psychological safety, but it's, it, it incorporates, I think, more broadly some other leadership dimensions. And then the fourth piece is purpose. And the interesting thing about purpose is most companies do have a purpose but you wouldn't know it from the way that they are managed. You wouldn't know it from their generic sounding mission statements. And so one of the things we do with with our companies is we try to help distill that purpose. I believe that a well-crafted mission statement is the most distilled form of strategy. And so when you have these four factors, fairness, growth, tune leadership, and purpose, when those four factors are present, 
you have not only good jobs and happy workers, you have an engaged and productive workforce, and you have a company that grows faster and is more profitable. And the cool thing here is when you do this work, you really are at that intersection of the social and commercial. Most companies are, are actually not very good at this stuff. Certainly most medium-sized companies, the kinds of companies we invest in, have a long way to go. But I think that when you start traveling down this path, you start uncovering all kinds of sources of opportunity that you don't see when you don't look for it in this way. I got to imagine there's a good number of companies out there that maybe aren't in the public eye, but are actually doing these things very well. And it, it may be in a traditional industry. It doesn't have to be one that's so obviously a socially impactful business. It could be an engineering company, a manufacturing company. Do you target any sectors? How do you go about your identification process? As you say, there are many different kinds of companies that one way or another espouse this philosophy, and they might use different words for how they do it. I mean, you know, Costco is an example that you hear about in the literature. My good friend, Professor Zainab Tan at MIT, who wrote the book, The Good Job Strategy, and, and who uh, founded you know, the Good Jobs Institute, talks a lot about Costco and other retailers that have adopted a good job strategy. And you know, Costco pays its workers, I can't remember the exact number, it's somewhere in, you know, north of $25 an hour in a big box discount retail format. It's you know, highly competitive. And yet it does better than its competitors. It does better than the Sam's Clubs of the world um, because it adopted this good job strategy where they've got motivated, loyal employees and consequently better operations, better customer service and a whole bunch of other things. And so there are many companies that espouse this philosophy and benefit from it. In fact, in my book, in Accountable, the first chapter is about a socially responsible strip mine, family-owned business that takes care of its workers and takes care of the environment and does all kinds of things that much bigger companies than them don't do, but because it's a family-owned business that thinks intergenerationally rather than for the next quarter. So there are lots of companies out there that think in, in these terms, and there's also lots that don't. Our focus is on areas where we've seen this kind of thing work before. So retail consumer is one of those areas because your workers are facing your customers. And so it matters a lot how they feel about their company. You know, how are you going to get a loyal customer if your workers themselves aren't loyal? We also focus on healthcare. You know, the care economy is a place where you know, there's lots of growing job categories. There's also lots of pretty bad jobs. And we need in America many millions more home health aides in the next decade. Where are they going to come from to take care of uh, our aging population? There's a lot of room for good job strategies in healthcare. And then there's some businesses that you might not think of for this strategy, but businesses in the business services space, you know, people who operate warehouses or business process outsourcing companies that do IT staffing and things like that. They also are employee-based businesses that need a productive workforce to thrive. And they need that workforce to be loyal and turnover is a big enemy of productivity in those industries. And so those are areas where we focus and we also focus on training businesses that help to bridge the skills gap, which is another big issue in, in the American workforce economy. Can you actually go into a situation and think like, you know, it's a little cuspy in terms of whether or not they have these attributes, but we can come in and really help them. And there's a desire from management and the founders to do so. And therefore you generate your alpha because of this almost like a quasi-consultative approach. Yeah. So I would say one of my favorite examples of it is, is a company called Circle of Care, which is a, a business that we own now for not quite a year and a half. And it does pediatric therapy 
for you know, kids who have developmental disorders, uh, either need help with speech therapy or physical therapy or occupational therapy or autism therapy. And that's an industry where, unfortunately, there are many more children who need help than there are therapists to provide the help. And so we see our job as in order to serve the ultimate patient, the child that needs help, we first need to serve the therapist. In other words, we need to become the best employer so that we can attract people into this industry and then we can retain them for a length of time because that's not only how you build a socially responsible business, that's how you build a profitable business. And so we invested in this company when it was fairly young. I think we've more than doubled the size of it in terms of its revenue and the number of patients it serves. But the interesting thing is how we're doing that, which is all about thinking about the world from the perspective of the therapists and what do therapists want. Well, one of the things therapists want is a career path. And so we have, in collaboration with the, the management team, we've helped to build out this idea of a thing called EBH University, which is a way of training frontline autism therapists to become more advanced autism therapists. And that meets the needs of the therapists themselves because they can earn more money and they can have a better career. But instead of leaving our company, go to a hospital or somewhere else that'll train them to do that, we keep them in, inside of our, our business. Consequently, we're able to treat more kids and kids with more complicated needs. And so that's an example of a kind of win-win where us providing them with the free training keeps our therapists, makes them more loyal, makes them more valuable over time, and also provides them with a career path and a path to earning more money. Any business could do that. But because we listen to our frontline employees, we are I think we're more likely to find those win-wins. Great example. I know we're coming up on time. If, if I could just ask two last quick questions. One is, can you tell us about a book that you've read? It could be your own book, actually, that's had a profound impact on you. Well, writing a book certainly does help to advance your thinking. And there's no question that writing Accountable helped me develop more conviction around this idea of impact investing as a vehicle for positive change. But my favorite book and probably the book that's had the most influence on kind of how I got to where I am now is The Good Job Strategy by, by Professor Zainab Tano. I mentioned earlier, she's actually got a new book coming out soon, which I think is going to be fantastic. But it really documented great examples of companies that have been run by this good jobs principle and how they've benefited from it. And so anyway, that, that's had a real profound impact on, on my thinking. I know the thinking of many others out there. Last question. Can you tell us about a leader that you particularly admire? And it doesn't have to be in, in business. Well, I'm a huge admirer of Governor Patrick, my former partner, a fantastic mentor to me. He used to say things like, you know, I've never taken a job and checked my conscience at the door. You know, I've, I've always brought it with me everywhere. And I believe that there's ways of making investing into a, a great vehicle, a great social vehicle. And, and he helped me to, to see the art of the possible there, because I'm not sure I would have ended up in this line of work if it weren't for his inspirational leadership. So he's just a, a wonderful leader and a wonderful mentor. And I think he's doing a lot of really great things in, in all the things he does. Excellent. Well, Warren, w want to thank you again for taking the time. This has been a, a wonderful conversation. Thank you, RJ. 